often when I would sit down with students to help them on their college applications, I was helping them in a number of other ways as well and realized that many students just don't have access to the same types of support to navigate this process and became interested in studying this from a policy perspective. I'm J.B. Wogan from Mathematica, and welcome back to On the Evidence, a show that examines what we know about today's most urgent challenges and how we can make progress in addressing them. Today's episode is one of a series Mathematica is producing as part of our support for the Fall Research Conference hosted by the Association for Public Policy Analysis and Management, better known by the acronym APAM. My guests for this episode are Jenna Kramer, an associate policy researcher at RAND Corporation, and Kelly Rosinger, an assistant professor in the Department of Education Policy Studies at Penn State University. We're going to talk about using large-scale behavioral nudges to increase applications to college and financial aid. Jenna and Kelly, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having us, JB. Thanks, JB. All right. So uh, if I'm not mistaken, you just wrapped up your panel session a few minutes ago. Do you want to summarize for me what the panel was about? Yes, so the panel focused on um, scaling nudge interventions in post-secondary education. And so we had four papers that focused on nudging students at various stages of the college-going process around various aspects of going to and through college, mostly focused on financial aid and helping students navigate the process of applying for financial aid and also applying for college in the context of these being really complex processes for students to navigate when we're asking them to make decisions about where to apply, and then to navigate a, a financial aid system that has, has proven to be really complicated for students to go through. Yeah, so there's a large and continually growing research base that looks at these interventions to help students overcome some of the challenges that Kelly referenced. And these papers all together looked at taking those interventions, which on average have been fairly small to date and scaling them up to the state level and the national level by working in collaboration with state agencies or with organizations that serve college-intending students across the country. Okay. And I was hoping you could give our listeners a sense of who you are. What, uh, how would you describe your research interests and careers and how it relates to this work? So I come to this work as a policy researcher from a background where I began my career as a college counselor, working at a high school, working with students who were going to be the first in their families to attend college. And we had support from some organizations that have been uh, working in collaboration with researchers, actually, on some of these nudge interventions, for instance, you Aspire. And through working with those organizations and working with students and families, I came to have burning questions around ways in which we might, at the institutional level, both in secondary and post-secondary, and then more broadly speaking with regard to changes in policy, uh, where we might facilitate the transition between high school and college for students who are looking to get additional training after high school and therefore be more successful and stable once they enter the workforce. Okay. And Kelly, how would you describe your, your background? So I actually have a similar background as Jenna. We might say in admissions lingo from the other side of the desk. So I worked as a college admissions counselor at the University of Georgia, um, helping students navigate the college admissions and financial aid process. And in doing so, realized that students faced a number of barriers when it comes to figuring out where to apply, figuring out what they need to do to apply, figuring out what courses to take, how to prepare for the SAT or the ACT, and then applying for financial aid. And in doing that, often when I would sit down with students to help them on their college applications, I was helping them in a number of other ways as well and realized that many students just don't have 
access to the same types of support to navigate this process and became interested in studying this from a policy perspective. So my research broadly focuses on the barriers that students face on the way to and through college and how policies, interventions can, can help students navigate this process and reduce disparities that we see in educational outcomes in the United States. What about your research specifically related to behavioral nudges? Is that just a subset of your overall interests or is that a a major part of what you do today? It's a part of my work. Um, A lot of my work now is focused really on, on designing policies as well and how can we design policies on the front end to make them you know, easier for students to navigate at the start. And then how can we use nudges sort of on the back end to help students navigate? Because there's always some complexities in the system, right? So to, to kind of help students remember to meet deadlines, informing them about financial aid that's available and things like that. So I, I do a little bit of behavioral economics from both a policy design perspective and from working with students to help them navigate these policies. Actually, let me step back for a second. I, I imagine a lot of the people who are following from APAM are already aware of what behavioral economics and, and nudge theory is, but maybe just, just would you mind giving a, a quick definition of what, what we're talking about when we talk about behavioral science and behavioral nudges? I don't know which one of you wants to take that. <laughs> We're looking at each other here. Um, yeah, so I, I think this is behavioral economics has kind of stepped up when we realize that sometimes the standard neoclassical economic model doesn't always predict human behavior, right? Humans aren't always doing able to do like these these complicated cost benefit analyses in our heads, and sometimes we we do make decisions that, from a neoclassical economic perspective, don't seem rational. And um, so behavioral economics draws on insights from economics, from social psychology, from a number of disciplines to kind of understand what are the constraints to to human decision making as we evaluate costs and benefits of of various decisions that we're making. Something that's interesting about the presentations that were given today and the discussions of hypotheses as to why particular findings surfaced when the authors ran their estimates of the interventions is that in addition to this information capacity that we've been thinking about nudges in, as we're taking things to scale and we're not seeing necessarily the same effect sizes that uh, we saw in previous studies, that there may be a, um, a relational component to this. The closeness between the individual who is receiving the message and the messenger and the way in which that message is presented may relate to what we're seeing in terms of the effects that are estimated by the papers that were discussed today. Okay. Speaking of the papers that were discussed today, what were the knowledge gaps that these authors were trying to address and maybe that to some extent maybe still exist? I mean, what are the sort of outstanding questions about using behavioral nudges uh, in the context of post-secondary education? The outstanding questions are many. The focus of today was thinking about bringing interventions to scale, as we've referenced a little bit. Many prior studies were smaller in the sample size that they worked with. The studies today were looking at tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of individuals who were receiving an intervention, whereas the initial work in the field was done on a much smaller scale with communication from perhaps a provider that was closer to the individual receiving the message, whereas now studies are coming from larger organizations that have more of a national reach. 
Additionally, we, while initial studies have shown that there are effects of providing a nudge at all, there's an open question as to what's the best way to present this information. And so in addition to thinking about working with a larger sample size and bringing these things to scale, many of the studies today also had a framing component to them, thinking about if the information that is being given is presented in a number of diff slightly different ways, does that have an effect on the, the decision points that the participants are then encountering in the path to college. Okay. Kelly, did you want to describe the paper that you presented? Yeah. So in the paper that I presented, we looked at a, a statewide and a national outreach campaign aimed at helping students apply for financial aid, um, working with these partners to reach up to 800,000 students. And one of the, the things that we're testing in this study is, is how can we approach scale? So there's sort of two different ways we could think about scaling these smaller scale interventions that have, have been really effective at the local level. Um, and one of them is a, a global approach, working with one larger partner that has access to a state of students or to kind of national scale, working with students across the country. And so so we tested this to see whether this global approach to scaling and working with one partner, um, or in this case, two partners, could, if nudge campaigns could maintain their efficacy at that type of scale up. Um, and so we worked with the Common Application, which is an organization that um, students can apply to up to 20 colleges using one application, and Common Application works with around a million students each year. Um, so we worked with high school seniors who are applying to college, and then we also worked with a large state to work with students as they were applying to college as well. We also worked with a number of different student groups in the large state on various stages of the college-going process, the students who were applying to college, students who were currently in college, students who had earned substantial credits but had left college without earning a degree to see whether outreach was effective around filing FAFSA for different groups of students at different stages of the college going process. Um, and, and really what we found when we looked at college enrollment, college persistence, and financial aid outcomes is that unlike some of these smaller scale studies where, where nudge outreach has seemed really effective and to hold a lot of promise, what, what we were seeing is that these outreaches at the large scale, when we thought about scaling up globally and working with large partners, really didn't have the same impact that we had seen at the smaller scale level. And so one hypothesis for why, why we just weren't seeing this at scale is that students have less of a connection to larger scale partners, right? When these organizations are working with hundreds of thousands of students, often students don't have kind of this repeated interaction with that organization. They aren't always aware of that organization before they're texting them, or they just don't have this ongoing relationship with that organization. And so it's possible that um, another approach to scale could be working with a number of local organizations that have that repeated interaction with students, that have built that trust with students. Jenna mentioned earlier this kind of like relational component, so an ongoing relationship with students to, to understand when a student is getting a message from that organization. It's not the first message they've gotten from mm. that organization. Yeah, right? that makes sense. So it's, it's possible that, that that's another approach to scale that, that could be more effective. I think that's you know, we, we're starting to see some evidence from studies, larger scale studies that have done this, but I think that's that's still kind of an outstanding question in the area of nudges in post-secondary education is, is how can we scale these, what are the right approaches to maintain efficacy? Okay. Okay. One of the questions I had lined up was to what extent did the papers fill knowledge gaps from before? So do we know more about uh, these questions about scalability or sustainability or 
why nudges do or don't work. I think you've already you've, you've just addressed one example of uh, why why a nudge maybe didn't work. But are there is there anything else you'd want to say based on the the papers that were presented this morning? I will say, building off of what Kelly shared about her study, we heard uh, work presented by Lindsay Page of the University of Pittsburgh, joint work that she and colleagues have undertaken. And they, in thinking about this global versus more local approach of scaling, they did a number of different interventions, one that was more global and another that was more local, where they were, rather than working with a national organization for that second intervention, they worked in collaboration with the state, but had the messages ostensibly coming from counselors at the student's high school. And they found that there was a significant effect of the messages that came from the high school counselors, but they did not. They found null effects in the more global study. And so that fed into conversation and discussion about whether this hypothesis may, there may be some initial evidence in support of this hypothesis of around the closeness or the expectations even that an individual may have for an organization that's reaching out to, to them. Mm-hmm. So in addition to perhaps not thinking about a particular organization playing that role in their experience or their transition to college, we also talked about modalities. So thinking about who the messenger is and what the expectations an individual has mm-hmm. for that messenger. And then the studies offered a variety of interventions that contacted individuals largely via email and text message, but also via mail. Okay. If you had Betsy DeVos or, or maybe a state secretary of education in, in an elevator for five minutes or something, what's one major takeaway from this body of research that you would want to share with her, uh, a finding that, has, that could be useful or that a policymaker could act on? I think it's important to emphasize that the, the college-going process is really complex, right? Um, students face a number of decisions that they have to make on the way to and through college around where to go to co- whether to go to college, where to go to college, how to pay for college, um, how to apply for financial aid to support going to college. And so um, I think just highlighting the complexity and then highlighting that that we do have evidence on the smaller scale that low cost, behavioral nudges can be really effective at helping students navigate this process. But I I also think that there's a role to simplifying the process to start with, right? Can we find a balance between simplifying how students apply for financial aid, how students get information about college, and then nudging students to complete what are still going, always going to be somewhat complex tasks, but but to provide nudges as, as support in what is hopefully a more simplified system. Absolutely. I agree with Kelly wholeheartedly. I think that it's a combination of thinking about the evidence base that we're getting from this nudge literature around how we effectively message students in order to give them the information that they may be lacking or that may be too complex in other places, but then also turning around and saying, okay, based on these findings, we still have this very complex process and there are policy levers that we can use in order to simplify it. So let's think about the financial aid application process, the verification process, and at the state level, the way in which prospective college students are applying to and enrolling in college. Additionally, many of these interventions have looked at providing this information for prospective students during the summer between high school graduation and when they start college that subsequent fall. And that's a time when students for the first time don't have access in person to some sort of professional advising. Now, with the caveat that advising loads are 
overwhelming at many of our country's high schools, mm-hmm. there is still the potential opportunity to walk down the hall or hear an announcement over the PA system from a professional advisor around how to navigate that college process. After students toss their caps, they don't have that professional advising mm-hmm. anymore. And so many of these nudged interventions have s- filled some of that, that, that filled that role in a temporal way mm-hmm. in between high school graduation and college. Um, and so I think that it also stands in addition to the nudges in some circumstances are working, but we may want to think about the scale and we really need to simplify these processes. Also thinking about whether there is the potential for there to be collaboration across levels of government to think about how to provide more professional resources for students as they navigate that transition between high school and college. I also think one of the promising um, directions that nudge studies in post-secondary education is going is that they are starting to see a lot of the earlier studies were among sort of these more traditional college-going population, working with students immediately after high school graduation, going to college. Um, We're now starting to see studies looking at adult students, looking at students who have left college after earning substantial credits and not completed a degree. Um, So I think thinking about other populations of students and how we can reach Mm -hmm. out to them at points when they don't have the same type of support that, like Jenna was mentioning, between high school and college, the students who have left college years ago don't have that same connection Mm. either. And so thinking about how can we reach out to students at at various stages of of college going and completion. When they're no longer a captive audience in Mm -hmm. our public secondary schools. I know that in other contexts, there's this outstanding question about whether nudges that are proven to be effective in the short term will actually last in the long term. Did Did these papers shed any light on that question, or do they contribute to the knowledge about the lasting effects of nudge interventions? At this time, these papers were looking at those preliminary effects of more shorter term and perhaps even medium term, depending on how you frame that. I would anticipate, given the research chops of the individuals who presented today and the partnerships that they have, that they are being very attentive to what those longer term effects look like. And so perhaps at a future APAM, we will mm. learn more about whether we see longer-term effects of these interventions that were shared today. Okay. And one of the things that did come up too in the papers today and some other nudge studies that, that will come is longer-term nudging, right? Nudging students through multiple semesters as opposed to kind of a, a one-semester series of, of text messages or emails or other type of outreach, but nudging for longer periods of time to try to support students throughout the college going process. Hmm, Okay. Well, that seems to be one subject where maybe we're hoping future research will shed more light, but what are you hoping to learn from future research on the specific topic of behavioral nudge interventions and campaigns in the context of uh, college applications? There were some points raised by uh, one of our discussants around how we now have gotten to the point with this body of literature where we've seen many different studies at different intervals and trying to affect students on different margins. And I would say that I would advocate that um, in addition to having sort of a summary in the form of a literature review or a summary table, it may be advantageous for the field to think about using a more analytic method to summarize what we have seen from nudge intervention so far. So thinking about a, a meta-analysis in order to think about what the different factors were in, uh, that were seen in terms of heterogeneity and effects and as well uh, and heterogeneity and interventions as well. Mm. And so I think that we've gotten to the point where we can we can move in that direction. So that's one thing I would be very excited to see. To Jenna's point, I, I think 
when we say nudges, we mean a lot of things, mm -hmm. right? Sometimes it's informational or, or reminders for students to meet deadlines or complete certain tasks or forms. Other times it's financial incentives where you are offering a fee waiver to apply for college, kind of reducing some of these near-term costs associated with going to college. Other times it's connecting students one-on-one -on -one with an advisor or a counselor or some type of coaching going to or going through college. And so when we talk about nudges and the efficacy, we, we actually mean a, a whole bunch of things. And so I, I think some type of meta-analysis or some type of better understanding of what types of nudges can work and in what contexts and, and for whom, right? Mm. A lot of these studies have started to look among subgroups of students, but I think we really do have to start thinking about or continue to think about how, how do these impact low-income students, low-income, high-achieving students, students of color, to, to think about these groups. And a lot of the, the previous work has done this, but I think as we keep moving towards scale, to continue to study that and think about um, for whom do these nudges seem to work. Okay, standard last question. Anything I forgot to ask about but should have? Anything that you wanted to cover that we haven't yet? I don't think so. I would okay. love to continue this conversation. Okay. Yeah, it's, been, it's yeah. been really good. Um, so if people want to follow you and your work on Twitter, or are you on Twitter? What are your Twitter handles? We are both on Twitter. I'm. Do we have to use the at sign? Is that how we do Twitter handles? I'm Kelly I... underscore Rossinger. And I'm <laughs> J underscore W underscore Kramer. Okay. K-R-A-M-E-R. -E All right. Thanks, JV. Thank you, JV. Thanks again to our guests, Jenna Kramer and Kelly Rossinger. In the text summary of this episode, I'll include a link to their panel session, which gives more information about their research. As always, thank you for listening to another episode of On the Evidence, the Mathematica podcast. To catch future episodes of the show, please subscribe wherever you get podcasts. You can also keep up with the latest episodes by following me on Twitter at JVWogan.